My name is Jill Phillips and I'm the creator of Who's Shoes, a popular approach to co-production. I was named as an HSJ100 wildcard and want to help give a voice to others talking about their ideas and experiences. I'll be chatting with people from all sorts of different perspectives, walking in their shoes. If you are interested in the future of healthcare and like to hear what other people think, or perhaps even contribute at some point, Whose Shoes Wildcard is for you. Hands up if you know what an ODP is. Well, the 14th of May is ODP Awareness Day. There is even an ODP hashtag and we apparently need to get it trending. We're hoping that making this podcast will help. An ODP is an operating department practitioner. So someone who practices in an operating theatre. Are you any the wiser? So today's podcast came from a special request to celebrate the operating department practitioner profession and for colleagues and the public, and indeed me, to find out more about the fascinating role that ODPs fulfil and the numerous opportunities available. Apparently, you even get healthcare students who haven't heard of this role until it's mentioned. It was Carrie Biddle's idea. Carrie is the Regional Head of Allied Health Professionals for the South West Region, working for Health Education England. We won't go into what an allied health professional is. That might be one for another week. Anyway, we came up with the idea of me chatting to an experienced ODP and also to a theatre nurse, asking them about their roles and how they differ from each other. I'm talking today to Sue Robb, an ODP from Gloucestershire, and Anitha Rego, a theatre nurse from Torbay. We'll ask them, why would someone want to go into your particular profession? Sue and Anitha don't know each other, and indeed neither of them knew anything about whose shoes. So I'm not sure how we're going to get on. It's just a case of diving in and getting to know each other, and I'm sure it will be fun. So welcome, Sue and Anitha. I'm so glad that you volunteered for this. It was very brave. We're all keen to hear more from you and about the roles that you have in the NHS. So who'd like to kick off? Thank you, Jill. I think I'll kick off. Uh, (laughs) My career goes way back. I did my nursing in India and I passed in 1993. And when I finished my nursing, the first post I was put into was operating theatres, which, to be honest, really, really scared me. However, I thought, okay, let's give it a go and see what happens. So I worked in various specialties back in India. Then I went on to a cardiac theatre, which really inspired me. And I must say that that is where my true love for operating theatres began. And then I went to the Middle East and worked in trauma and orthopedics. So even better. (laughs) So I really loved the two specialties. And then I got in the family way, went back to India, had my first child and then worked in a women and child centre, again in the operating theatre. And then I got this fantastic opportunity to come to the UK. So I've been in Torbay since 2003, and I've worked as a theatre nurse. I must say that is the first time I was introduced to the role of the operating department practitioner, because wherever I've worked before, we've been nurses, we've had technicians, but not operating department practitioners. So it took me a little while to understand what the difference was between a nurse and an ODP, and I'm sure Sue will tell us more about it. 
Thank you, Anita. That's a brilliant introduction. And so you are an ODP. So <laughs> build on that. What What is it that you do? Okay, yes. Thanks, Anita and Jill. Yeah, so I'm an ODP. I started with the NHS 2008 as a porter. And after a couple of years, I thought I needed to do more. So then I moved into theatres as a healthcare assistant. I settled into that role nicely. And then I just wanted to do even more. So I went off, I heard about being in theatres, I heard about the ODP, so I went off and done my training. ODP is basically a specialist in theatres, so as a, a general nurse, they will have to come to do training to do anaesthetics, whereas as soon as I'm qualified, I could actually come straight into theatre and work and practice. So I am only specialised in theatres, I couldn't go to a ward and work as a band five. So a nurse could come to theatres but would have to do specialist training? Training, yeah. But an ODP is specifically trained to work in theatres but couldn't jump off and work somewhere else without their own special training, is that? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So operating department practitioner, is that a helpful name, an ODP? I mean, presumably that's what you're called day-to-day, the ODP. Yeah, and uh, we do get confused with outpatients department, you know the acronyms but yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I do a lot of work in my work around acronyms so yeah you know sort of being a little bit provocative then but yeah. you know the AHP and the ODP and it's yeah. it must be easy when you're in that world but from the public looking in it's not massively helpful in terms of people learning what your role is and such an important role yeah, so as my role as an ODP, I can now, all part of the perioptive experience, I can follow a patient all the way through, from collect them into the anaesthetic room, and then I can be in the theatres as a scrub assistant, and, and then I can also go into recovery, so I can do all three roles. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because although it took me a while to understand what the operating department practitioner, we have grown our own for a long time. And as the educator, I am quite passionate about growing our own healthcare assistants and developing them. I'm the lead for the assistant practitioners for our theatres. So it's quite nice to see, although at one point we could have assistant practitioners and then they couldn't progress into ODP mm. for specific, so they could progress into being a nurse. But we have actually bridged that now because some of the universities, particularly we work with Birmingham City University, and they've got a bridging module, okay, which then helps us to allow the assistant practitioners to go into ODP training if they want to. That's really good, yeah. So that's been quite a positive trend. And I think over COVID, we saw, although we know that ODPs don't traditionally wouldn't be able to go and work in the wards, we've had our ODPs who have become surgical care practitioners, and I know that's open to nurses as well, and the surgical first assistants. Again, that's open to both roles. And over COVID, I think, we saw many of our ODPs went to ITU, although our ITU don't have ODPs working for them, but they can do the ITU role, and, you know, it was different for them and different for ITU as well to, I think, embrace that role. And that's, for me, has been positive over COVID. Although how they felt about it, I'm not sure. <laughs> but COVID has unlocked so many things like that, hasn't it? Because they had to happen and they had to happen quickly. And then you think, oh, what was the big deal perhaps in terms of processes and stuff? Do you think that that's 
pulling back now so that that kind of spontaneity that, you know, I'm talking about the positive things that actually really worked and felt like a good idea. Is that energy being built on or are things just slipping back to being more traditional? We've got a massive waiting list, haven't we, Sue? I think that will be the focus for the operating theatres now as we're coming back, getting into normal, shall we say, <laughs> the new normal from COVID. Yeah. So that's where the energy is going to be focused on. Okay. So we need all our stuff in theatres now. Mm. Do you agree, Sue? Oh, yeah. So definitely. During COVID, I went to ITU for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I was doing like a HCA work because I wasn't needed on the airway. And obviously, not being a nurse, I couldn't do a, a nurse's role. So um, I just helped out where I could there. But I was on hand to like turn the patients and, you know, put them into the prone positions and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely it, quite a lot of our staff were obviously deployed to the wards. But yeah, we are full steam ahead, back to everything, trying to get the list back down in the waiting list, I should say. So yeah, so we're almost, touch word, I'll say, getting back to normal. Oh, well, that's good. Mm. And how about you, Anita? Yeah, I think we are we are slowly getting there. We A big part of our day surgery unit was taken over for other stuff. So we are literally just getting back into normal. But in terms of the role of the... We like to call ourselves theatre practitioners when you're in theatre because you're a team rather than an ODP and a theatre nurse and tend to call ourselves theatre practitioners. And the whole ethos of theatres is around teamwork. So it's not just us. We've got a multi-professional team. We've got our surgeons. We've got our anaesthetists. You know, so we range from anywhere from a healthcare assistant to consultant anaesthetists and surgeons within a team and we all have our own students so we also have depending on what cases it is the, the radiologists uh, radiographers come in so we we truly have a multi-professional team in theatres it's all about teamwork and it's at the center of it is our patients so I think it's the patient safety we're all advocates for our patients once they're under anesthesia especially it is us who take care of them so we I mean I take pride in my work and I know our team does as well so you know it's truly about the patient in that care and we it's a shame that the role of the ODP is not advertised better because we do really need to raise the profile of the ODPs because although nurses come I think they come as student nurses and then they see other things and then they think oh okay I'll go and do that uh, rather than coming to theatres, because on the face of it, as a scrub nurse, the role can look like a very technical role. However, we do have, have a patient to care for, unless then you branch out into other stuff. You know, you, you can, as nurses, we can go and do an anaesthetic course and then go into anaesthetics and go into recovery and recover the patient. Otherwise, sometimes it's a bit difficult for our student nurses who come in to see what their role is in theatre. Whereas for an ODP students, because they come and work solely in theatres, they see the three areas and they find their own niche if they like. Some of them, you know, go, like to go into anaesthetics. Some would say, oh, recovery is where I want to be. And some of them do two areas. So they have got that exposure all through in theatres and throughout their training period. So they understand the role much better than our student nurses who might be coming for 12 weeks. And then that's it. And as Sue said earlier, if nurses come into theatre, we have then got to train them to become scrub practitioners. And they could go into recovery, but again, they've got to do specialist competencies. And if they want to do anaesthetic, they've got to do another you know, anaesthetic course. So it takes a little bit longer for them to get into 
a theater practitioner role than an ODP student because they're already that's what they're trained for and they're already there. So if we want to, which is obviously the main purpose of this specific podcast, promote the role of an ODP, you know, you said perhaps it should be advertised better, perhaps for people to know those career paths better. I'm fascinated, Sue, by the fact that you started as a porter. I mean, obviously you, you saw more things that you personally wanted to get involved in. I bet that gave you amazing insights, that particular starting role. Oh, yeah, starting as a porter, it just it's a great way of learning how the hospital works and I got to see every part of the hospital. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then it gave me connections to theatres because I was obviously always around and that's how I got talking to, I think it was a theatre assistant and they obviously said, come and join us in theatre. So I absolutely loved my first day and I knew that if I was going to go on further, I would want to go back to theatres. So a lot of people said to me, why don't you do your nursing training? But then I was like, well, I want to be in theatre. So me personally, and I'm hats off to everyone that does ward work and I'm hats off to them, but that's not for me. So having that extra role to go into where I didn't have to do all the ward work, you know, and the nursing side of it was great. It was just a, yes, I can do this and end up where I want to be. So that's why I chose ODP. Mm. Definitely that more specialist role really suited you and and what kind of skills or personality I mean obviously it's generalizing a bit everybody's different but you know what would attract somebody perhaps to be an ODP rather than a more general you know a a nurse who can go anywhere but you want to work in theatre you've got to be organized obviously I mean nurses do you know on the wards as well you've got to have your organization you've got to be able to get on with people you've got to be a people person because you're that first person that someone's going to see when they're really scared for an operation everyone's scared so you've got to be able to have that sort of personality that can put somebody at ease straight away so being an ODP basically you've got to have that sort of personality that you can put somebody at ease straight away because obviously patients are scared they're vulnerable so being an anesthetic practitioner you've got to be able to have that calming influence and just general chit chat as well being chatty obviously you can tell I am you've got to be able to chat to people put them at ease straight away so when I first started as an ODP when I first qualified I went into scrub because you know as a student I absolutely loved that part of my training Mm. but then I missed the patient contact as much because obviously they're all asleep and that's why I went back to anesthetics and I absolutely love it it's it's great and sometimes like you know I can go into recovery and help out in there not as much as you know obviously a recovery ODP or recovery nurse it's just having that Mm. versatility because sometimes we get short-staffed and I can just pop onto the scrub side it's nice to have that dual role because I tend not to go into recovery too much yeah so I I like the theatre-based bit yeah does that make sense (laughs) yeah yeah that makes loads of sense I think for me One thing I really want to bring through in the podcast series, which I think is coming through strongly here, is the human side. So Anissa's talked about whatever your role is, you're all there for the patient and you're a team and that emphasis on teamwork. Yeah. And I just had this image, if you like, of how difficult it must be. Now, this is just my perception of, on the one hand, you've got in an operating theatre, everybody gowned up so that... You know who you are, but for the patient, it could be just a sea of faces and 
gowns and masks and so on. And then, you know, suddenly thinking on the other side, you've got in terms of patient experience and feedback and so on, you've got someone who for a lot of the time is asleep, so they don't know what's going on. (laughs) So I think to hear you people bring it alive in terms of the passion that you've got for your roles and the teamwork and the camaraderie between you is really important. It's interesting you say that, Jill, because most of the times you hear when patients go out, finish, it's like, oh, I had, they talk about the anesthetic room and they talk about recovery, but the in-between, some of them are awake because anesthetics is different these days than what it used to be. If they've had mm. a different, like a regional type of anesthesia, they might be awake. So then they're aware of what's going on. And we do, I like to say hello to my patients if they're awake to say, hello, I'm the scrub nurse today. And it's really you know, important for me. And I tend to go into recovery then when you handle if your patient's awake, you can talk to them. But they don't see that bit sometimes in the middle and they remember the anesthetic and they remember the recovery bit. Yeah. And that's why sometimes for nurses, if you're doing solely doing the scrub role, it can feel that we don't have the patient contact, as Sue has said, and they tend to then float into recovery maybe mm. and do that. We don't want to do the anesthetic course and do a bit of that. And I think multi-skilling is the word here. Yeah. for the ODPs because they are definitely multi-skilled in all three areas when they start and they can fit into all roles straight away if you like. And I'm learning so much here, the different stages if you like and I actually did it a few years ago now but a really fascinating Who's Shoes project at Kingston Hospital specifically around theatres mm-hmm. so we did one project around main theatres And we did some follow-up work with the day surgery team and the kind of scenarios that we brought in. So it just sort of came back to me like around recovery and to see someone. And I I would imagine that I'd be very happy if it was either of you, because even though we're not recording the video, I can see that you're smiley people (laughs) and, you know, engaging people. And what a difference that makes to someone, like the first face that you see afterwards. And then another scenario that came back specifically, so it might be something just to ask you about, I do work around the whole person. So we were doing some work around dementia care and the worry of families perhaps that if someone with dementia is coming around from an anaesthetic and they're confused, is that just because of the dementia or is it if you had anybody coming around, they might be confused and how a condition, this idea of like diagnostic overshadowing, you know, can be just because the person's got learning disabilities or dementia. You must have a lot of skills in terms of, in a short time, getting to know that individual and being sure that they're safe. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail uh, on the head over there by saying the short time. We are very part of a short you know, time in their journey. And yes, we, uh, anybody's confused. I had my, I had a very small <laughs> surgery. I woke up and recovered and I was thinking, where am I? What's going on? Until somebody said to me, I need, everything's fine. You know, you've just had your procedure and you're in recovery. So confusion comes as part of it, especially if you've had general anesthetic, when you wake up, suddenly it's like, oh, I was in my bed this morning. What's going yeah. on? You know, <laughs> but With dementia patients, it can be a bit more highlighted. And you mentioned learning difficulties as well, because they are very easily disoriented, if you like. And even if you say to them, this is where you are, you know, it can be quite difficult. So we tend to have the, I mean, usually they have their own carers. So when they're in recovery and once they are slightly awake, we tend to bring their nurse or their carer into recovery so that they have that familiar face and they go into the anesthetic room as well. because 
giving directions to a person with learning disability and dementia if you haven't lived with them there's a different form of communication isn't it so mm-hmm. if you're familiar they know what you like they know what the right terms to use if you like as well but then it's sometimes it's just a hand you don't even have to say nothing just a hold of a hand is just it makes a difference like Anita was talking about her experience having an operation when I had mine just somebody there just put their hand on mine mm. even though I knew what was going on it just made the world a difference you don't have to have a specific skill to just hold a hand you know just that like human factor compassion I just I should say yeah that that's really just so basic isn't it just that kindness and cuts through whether someone speaks a language or whether they've got mm any kind of condition mm. it's just people together isn't it and that's a reassuring hand yeah definitely and mentioning something like recovery and and I'm probably going off piece a bit here something like somebody having their glasses handy mm. or something in terms of reorientating mm. the role is so much more than just medical isn't it yeah oh definitely mm-hmm. and, and even some patients they want their teeth back in straight away you know because <laughs> well wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely yeah god <laughs> yeah of, as yeah. soon as yeah. it's safe obviously but, yeah. yeah and you know dignity isn't it as Absolutely. well as the practicality of talking just dignity and starting to feel yourself again yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah so i was going to ask you as, as part of researching this i came across i just think it's wonderful a resource that Kevin Duff, who's an ODP, produced last year for ODP Awareness Day. And it's on YouTube and it's under Unsung Heroes and it and it's a poem. And it's a lovely, lovely poem. He's done a poem video. It's just under four minutes, I think. And as a way of mere understanding from nothing really, you know, what an ODP is, it's extraordinary. Do you know it? No, I don't think so. I haven't seen it, no. Okay, so that's interesting. A a big part of my role, if you like, is trying to connect people, which we're doing here, and also trying to connect, you know, if we've got the brief, we want to help people understand what an ODP is. And then as part of, as I say, researching, I found that. So I can definitely include that in the notes for, you know, I did some little notes that go along with the podcast series and put a link to Kevin's video. But what an amazing thing to do. That'll be really good. Yes. Oh yeah, I, I'm going to have a look at it now. Yes, me too. <laughs> well, it's. I think at the moment it's got about five and a half thousand views, which is obviously a lot. It's done really well. Yeah. But let's try and make that ten thousand yeah. wow. for this year because that was a year ago. So yeah. that would be one specific thing we could do. Yeah. So what else should we be telling people about becoming an ODP? So I just like to say that when I I've qualified uh, four years ago, so. A lot of people say, you know, why didn't you go into nursing? And I say, I wanted to go back to theatre. But then the question Mm. will come back, well, there's more progression for nurses. You can do a wider range of job. And it was specific for me to go back to theatre. But actually now a lot of things have changed. There's a lot more progression for the ODPs. So in the Gloucestershire Trust, our matrons and deputy Mm. matrons are all ODPs. I think apart from one. But yeah, so they're mainly ODPs. So uh, we're moving into management as well. So that's really great. And also some trusts allow us to go into ITU and A&E departments, not the Gloucestershire Trust at the moment, but 
hopefully that's something that's going to come as a progression. The more wide-grown the ODP is, the more opportunities are going to open up. And also, I think a lot of theatres in generic, but especially ODPs, because it's moved on to an apprenticeship now, the three-year degree course, it includes the surgical first assistant role within that. So that opens more doors. And the third year is all about mentorship, leadership, those kind of things. So it does open more doors for the ODPs in par to, you know, to the nursing mm. role. So you're seeing an important career pathway there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing I'm hearing that makes me laugh, so one of the earlier guests in the podcast series was Dr. Terry Porritt. She's a nurse and people say to her, well, why didn't you want to be a medical doctor? And she says she's a nurse through and through and through. So we've got the ODP, well, why don't you want to become a nurse? Well, I warn you, so if you become a nurse, somebody will be saying, well, then why don't you want to become a doctor? As if this is kind of like pecking order, isn't it? (laughs) Whereas actually it's about people and roles and finding the niche that works for you. And that's why I'm loving talking to people who are passionate about their role. You know, perhaps we'll get a a hospital porter, a current hospital porter on the podcast at some point. That would be amazing. The thing is, our, our matron at the moment, who's recently taken over, is an ODP. And like Sue, like yourself, he started as a photo in our trust and then came to theatres to progress. But yeah, our matron used to be a photo. And we've had some of our orderlies who then went on and did saw the ODP role and said, oh, I really like to work in theatres. And I've gone and done the ODP training and actually are now fully functional ODPs. It's good to hear about these different journeys, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. I've done some work recently. I work closely with Professor Becky Malby from London South Bank University, who runs the Darcy Fellows Programme. Okay. So that's how I'm involved, because we do regular Who Shoes work as part of their co-production module. But Becky and her team at the moment at the Health Systems Innovation Lab are doing some work around recovery from covid and it's about waiting and it sounds and this is good news it sounds if that problem is going away but obviously it's been a massive problem you must have been just so busy and you must be so busy at the moment but in terms of the human side what people can do to wait better so communication and just finding out what's important to people and obviously depending on their particular condition what exercises they could be doing or just things to keep them as well as possible so it's just fascinating for me the different bits of the system I think think my vision is crazy I'm just trying to link the whole world up (laughs) but to be able to put your part of the the story into that bigger picture of what I'm trying to do and to really hear from people who've got such interesting roles and so important in terms of moving on at the moment after the pandemic and coming out of this terrible position that we've all been in. Yeah, I think the uh, the other thing for me also is is a bit of that happens in our pre-assessment in day surgery. So we'd start with pre-assessment, then they come to the day surgery unit and they get admitted. So they've got that whole journey in the same unit and they get discharged from there. So they've been seen by the pre-assessment nurses and been triaged if necessary to the anaesthetist, if anything is required. They come and have the surgery in the department and then they get admitted there, have the procedure and go back the same route. So that is quite a nice pathway for the patients. 
for day surgery patients? Yeah, because sometimes we'll go and collect patients. So we see them on the day unit, bring them through to theatre. And then for me, I'm with them with the anaesthetics. Yeah, and then like you said, I've popped into a recovery, see if they're okay. Just you just that, hi, are you all right? You know, that sort of thing. Just it's trying to bring that, because it can be, feels like, I think to patients, a bit of a, a train, you know, but just having that extra person going in and going, hi, you all right? How are you feeling after the operation? Just gives it that human factor again, I suppose. And I just love chatting anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nice. I think we all need that human face and that chatty person, don't we? And that smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I missed mm. when I was doing scrub. I missed it so much. How how was it during the pandemic in terms of, you know, we've talked about holding hands or, you know, the, the normal kind of just human contact. How difficult was it? What did you have to do differently? For me, so it was we had to wear the four FFP3 masks and obviously gowns, extra gowns. It was hard, but just everyone's in the same boat. So you're not like, oh, I'm the only one doing this. We're all in the same boat. And that's when the teamwork really comes together. And you realise that you appreciate your team because they're waiting for you. Because in the pandemic, you were basically isolated as an anaesthetic person with your anaesthetist. But you knew there was somebody outside that if you needed help, they could come in. Mm -hmm. So it just brought the whole team closer together. So it wasn't a good thing for everybody, but for us as a team in theatres, the pandemic helped us. That's fascinating. Does that make sense? I don't know if it's about, about for you, Anitha. I can see Anitha nodding, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right because we, uh, as I said, our day surgery unit practically closed over COVID because it was taken over by other departments. There was only a small bit running down there. So they all then ended up in our main theatres upstairs and, and, you know, there was no elective surgery going on so it was mostly about what we're doing with the urgent cases whether they were orthopedic trauma or general surgery urgent cases so the whole team then gelled to actually work with this cohort of patients so it meant a little bit of something you haven't seen before they could go and then they yes we were all in full ppe I was doing a lot of mask fitting for a lot of, it was a strange thing because I felt, oh, I want to be in there with the patients. But mask fitting was important because, you know, I was enabling people to then go and uh, be there, wear full PP. But uh, what interested me is in terms of you saying, you know, holding hands, that was still happening. But it, it must have been a strange feeling for the patient because we were in full PPE and the anesthetic room, you tend not to have their masks on and you can see the face. And I think like we generally everybody said oh COVID isn't a lip reading and and that kind of stuff probably fell apart a bit but yeah in terms of just conveying that you know we will still look after you and holding hands that was still possible over COVID as well and we definitely Jane one of we did a little bit of an exercise one of my colleagues did at at the trust is what the positives from COVID and the biggest thing that came out for the whole staffing court was teamwork, was how they worked with the different teams yeah. uh, and how they gelled. And yeah, so absolutely, I agree with you, Sue, over there. Yeah, and I think it's all about eye contact as well, mm. you know, because you can tell a lot about someone, especially now that you could only just see their eyes. Mm. You can tell a lot by someone, you know, if someone is still smiling under their mask, you can tell. So that helped quite a lot. 
but yeah and even i if i was wearing gloves i still hold a hand or you know still you know yeah absolutely I think the innovation that's come from the pandemic, so perhaps to kind of pull it together, you know, on a positive note, and one of these actually links to the the southwest where you are, Anitha. So earlier podcast guests have included Rachel Grimaldi. She's an anaesthetist and she's the founder of Card Medic. So like all these people, inspirational stories, mm. but basically Rachel realised that communication was going to be difficult during the pandemic and came up with a simple way of helping with that. The way of showing key messages on iPads and so on, and then rapidly translating these key messages, getting them crowdsourced from the real people from different specialities and translated into many, many languages. And it's just been incredibly inspirational. She's won World Entrepreneurship awards and so on but you know be very proud of your anesthetic colleague um rachel grimaldi and the other person who came to mind who's also as it happens been on the podcast series one of my midwifery matex heroes if you like that i I really really rate sarah jane peddler is the professional midwifery advocate in cornwall and she is the smiliest person. That's what made me think of it that you could ever imagine. And she made some lovely videos to reassure people. And she made one video, which again, I'll I'll share in the notes of herself putting on her PPE. So basically just to show the, the women and families that she was looking after, unfortunately, we've got to wear all this stuff. It's just how things are at the moment, but here I am, I'm still me and human. That's lovely, that. Yeah, those those are the kind of stories that we're trying to share, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, earlier on you said something about everybody, when the patient comes in, everybody is the same. So there have been some initiatives. We haven't used it in our trust, but, you know, uh, hats. So people have, you know, names on their hats. So I can't remember which trust it was who did that, but they had these hats with uh, with their names and the, who they were on there. Because one scrubbed, even we don't, you know, sometimes know who's who, you know, because everybody's in the same, oh. you know, uh, same kind of what I like to call pajamas, the eat pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we all look the same, isn't it? So I think that's the Theatre Caps campaign. And I think it came from Derby Hospital, if I've got that right. But the first person, and I absolutely love the inappropriate way, obviously, the rule breakers. Now, the first person I saw doing that was my friend Jenny Clark, who's known very widely as Jenny the Midwife. And she put her name on her hat and she put some little flowers and, you know, just that humanising. And that's the sort of thing that you might get told off for and then becomes a movement, and then becomes the way we do things around here. So we need these innovators. We need these people who are prepared to, you know, stick their neck out and do something they think is right. So, well, who knows? I work quite closely with Gloucestershire Hospital. We've done some really good issues work with Gloucestershire Hospital. So that could be something that comes from the podcast, that hats are back in, you know, because I think COVID or not, you know, I'd, I'd rather see someone with a hat and a name on it than, you know, the anonymous pajamas <laughs> <laughs> and, and for me the message out there is that theater can sound very daunting but for people who want to do it uh, please don't be because we are a very you know friendly team because you're in theaters you are a team you know and you, you kind of have that camaraderie doesn't matter whether you're a surgeon or an anesthetist who you are you kind of you know get to know each other quite well uh, and you, you're like a little family if you like 
So it's it, although it sounds scary, please, for anybody who wants the, out there to work in theatres and to be an ODP, please, 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 you know, don't be afraid because it is a welcoming team. Things do can go wrong very quickly, but, you know, you that's what our job is all about. It's dynamic. It's quite fast-paced sometimes. But sometimes it can be just routine and we all have a little fun in theatres, if you like, as well. <laughs> I think that's coming through really loud and clear. So I think that's a really good note to end on, actually, in terms of if you're interested, find out more. Yeah, because yeah, there's nothing else I can add. That was brilliant, Anita. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a really nice conversation. I think the human way of explaining what a kind of quite medical role is yeah. for people. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> And probably as soon as we finish, we go, oh, I should have said that. No. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully. yeah, definitely. Certainly I'm more informed. Oh, that's so. good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe now to hear more of these fascinating conversations on your favourite podcast platform. And please leave a review. I tweet as whose shoes. Thank you for being on this journey with me. And let's hope that together we can make a difference.